0: Welcome to Staying at the Table. We are friends and community and part of a church called Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Despite our many differences, we aim to stay at the table, which means we don't walk away from each other when we disagree. We believe the best of relationship comes when we're willing to listen to each other, showing love even when we continue to see the world differently.
1: In today's episode, we discuss our right to remain silent. Is it okay for us to not talk about the big issues of our day? Take a listen and enjoy our conversation. Welcome back, everybody. We are here at Staying at the Table. I'm Matt Kissler.
0: Your voice is so
1: low. Oh, yeah. (laughs) This is my post-COVID New Year voice. Yes. Um... I'm joined by Reverend James Beatty. Good day. And Brian Chilcote. Hello. And Reverend Dr.
2: It's <laughs> <That's laughs> me. Hello.
1: So, and of course, Dave Moore behind the desk. Hi, Dave. So, today we've been brainstorming about what we wanted to talk about. And for this topic, we're going to bounce off an article I saw in the Washington Post. It's titled it's an opinion article titled Universities and Corporations Should Have the Right to Remain Silent. It's by Nancy Gibbs. And just as a brief summary, it's looking at when when certain institutions or individuals are forced to have an opinion about something what the impact of that is within our current context. And the point the article is making is often people are pushed to say nothing. They're, they're pushed to say something that won't ruffle feathers, that won't raise eyebrows, and it's just banal. It's meaningless and it's kind of, uh, an it, it's it's unfruitful to actually move things forward. And so, One quote that I wanted to, that the article ended with that I found particularly helpful was, as the Quakers say, don't speak unless you can improve on the silence. Bouncing off of that, we were thinking about when is it appropriate for individuals, is where we were starting with, and then we can also think about institutions like the church or other institutions, to stay silent. Right now, I think there's a, lo- uh, a lot of energy or push that to, to not stay silent. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of good reason for that, and we can dig into that. But when is it okay to be silent on something? And, and when we speak, what do we hope to bring from it? James, I know you had some ideas about, maybe we could start with why don't we want silence? Why silence is...
2: Uh, not helpful. Yeah. So one of the thoughts, uh, if we think back to uh, civil rights movement, suffrage, uh, and the like, you know, it's a it's a very clear out of sight, out of mind situation. So as long as people are suffering in silence and out of sight they become out of mind and their issues do not get addressed. Mm-hmm. So the base concept of, at least within the United States, of why there is a need for voices to speak up is because suffering continues if no one speaks, right? So it's the big driver between, uh, behind civil rights, behind suffrage. While you march, you march. Uh, that is the noise, but there's clear policies behind the noise that are being pointed to to be corrected. So speaking up by people of power or, or those people staying silent becomes unacceptable for the masses because that silence is a tool for the powerful. Silence is the tool that the powerful utilize in order to continue oppression. And so that's been the culture that's been developed and cascaded throughout society, even among people who have not thought about the topic, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's when we start to get into the issue of if you haven't thought about the topic, then what do you really have to say? And how do you enter the discussion and, and to what levels you enter?
0: Mm-hmm. Right? I'm When you're talking about civil rights, I looked up, Because I knew Martin Luther King had quotes and there's three that I have. In the end, we'll remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is there comes a time when silence is betrayal. Mm -hmm. And then finally, the ultimate tragedy is not the oppression and cruelty by the bad people, but the silence over that by the good people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just I have a question for the table because I think part of You know, my journey is, you know, do our voices matter, right? So sometimes silence is because it feels like you're speaking into a vortex. It feels like you're speaking into, you know, a whole. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, you know, how does that even fit in as well? Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, I think we all have some of it goes back to the fact that we are wired to explain or get explanations about why things are the way they are, especially as it concerns us personally. You know, we in our daily world, we're always processing in our minds uh, stories about why things are happening, Mm -hmm. how things are happening around us. Um, You know, in this era we're also exposed to information from across the world and it magnifies all of these injustices and horrible things that we hear about so they're you know with no fault of our own they're all those things are also included in our list of things to internally explain and put in a category so we can manage those things and even more importantly figure out where we fit into those issues. Is this good for me? Bad for me? Should I be afraid of this? Or should I be excited about this? I'm not sure. So we're always, our brains work all the time to try to process and understand what's going on. And sometimes it's just too much. And we compartmentalize that into a, an area where I just don't even want to have an opinion about that because I have 11 other things I need to have opinions about and explain and understand so that I know how to function in a in my
2: own daily world. Yeah. I'm tying a couple of thoughts here that, that's been made and even a couple of thoughts that were made prior to the podcast, which is there's this sorting, simplification, uh, process that's going on because all of us just want to live our life, mm-hmm. right? You get up every morning. You're not trying to fight a battle. You're you're you know you're just trying to get through and enjoy the day. And that is the position of the person that's sitting in comfort.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Right? Yes. So yes. It, it's okay for us to talk from that perspective, but understand that's the perspective that's being spoken. And then we somehow have to switch at some point of, okay, When at what level does suffering require us all to engage?
1: Yeah.
2: So this these are the shifts. So you mentioned, hey, sometimes you feel like you're speaking into a vortex. And I think for the whole, yes, but for the people around you, no. Because the people around you respect you in a way that they want to know where they are, as you were saying, Brian, within this group. And if they feel that even though what they're hearing on television in this big loud megaphone is saying one thing, but the people I engage with every day are saying something different, now I need to figure out where I am. Mm.
1: And I think the fear there is if you don't align with your group, yes, your speech is very harmful to you, and it feels like to what end? Mm-hmm. You know, I could go on a, a Zoom meeting in the morning, a prayer call with. With with certain friends of mine, and I could say a certain thing that's different from their opinion. You know, I I know pretty. I mean, they 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 know where I stand. I know mm-hmm. where they stand. But at some point, it feels like I'm just not part of this anymore. Mm-hmm. Like there is too big of a gulf, and so what I've lost is a community, and what I've gained feels like nothing. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I, I've just made a bunch of people who don't like me, and and what I've got. Is feeling bad about myself.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the social price you pay is a, a impetus for silence. We get along better when we don't talk about controversial or difficult things. So stay on the surface, and and we'll all get along great as long as we don't go too far into the the weeds of you know different topics that could be disagreeable between people in your community. What can you accomplish
2: if you get along, but you don't know each other? Yeah, this is a price much. of silence. <laughs> yeah. This is a, in my mind, and this is, I'm, I'm putting this up for a debate. My, my thought is you can't accomplish anything though. If I don't really know you, if I don't know the, uh, the intimate thoughts of your your mind, right? And there's, of course, limits, boundaries, and all those type of things. But it's, I don't know how to align. I don't know what things you're passionate about. So I can't really even shift if you have information that helps me to shift because we never talk about it. But But
0: do you have the maturity does one, mm-hmm. not you, one, have the maturity to stay at the table when the disagreement is there? Do people in this culture, I mean, I'm thinking where we started this mm-hmm. was all of the college or university presidents that, that have had to resign because of their opinion on what's going on in or the world? Or Or misstatements right. and stuff. So do we have the maturity to be able to stay in the in the uh, discomfort of disagreement and of having differing opinions. Because I think the journey that I've been on, you know, just in, in this world, mm-hmm. right, has been no. There are people—you have to pick and choose who you're going to be—offer uh, that information to mm-hmm. and those you do not. Because those you do not then go, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Because they don't have the maturity to to live into the discomfort of differing opinion or differing perspective.
2: There's a number of angles uh, that you spark by saying that because I, I agree that overall our push in society is not for maturity. It is for segregation and alignment yes. with the with. To get to with this team, yep, with tribalism, routine. tribalism, and not maturity, because that uh, what I found uh, through going through seminary and listening to various theologians, not only current but twentieth century, nineteenth century, eighteenth century, that they had a lot of the founders of these different denominations and sects uh, understood who they were splitting from and why, and actually respected each other, key. Mm -hmm. But then their disciples are hating each other and almost wanting to kill each other. Yes, But the people who started it were actually friendly to one another, mature, Yes, They understood the full context, the full range, respected that range and where they were coming from for those ideas, and could say, I respect the individual. I just have a different take on the details of what we are doing going forward. Maturity. Um, but then because of the simple, again, me projecting the desire for simplicity, the desire mm-hmm. for comfort, we do shorthand. And if all I need to do is say, you're bad, and that way I can take this very complex issue that exists around the world, categorize it so I can get up in the morning and be in a comfortable, simplistic mindset, I'll do it. Yeah. In order that I may rest, I will let you suffer. I will create environments that allow you to suffer. Uh, so in that sense, staying silent, it may not be for uh, the topic, but for meaning the specific harm, the specific uh, injustice and oppression, but more about why are we so immature that we can't have complex conversations with people that we disagree with on the surface.
3: Yeah, and how and when should we you know, install that in our society? I mean, is it schools? Is it churches? What is it? What's institutional? How do we institutionalize that idea that our goal is, as human beings, is maturity, not that we can do calculus, but you know that we can actually achieve this kind of maturity, or at least set people on the trajectory toward it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. You know, I, we've never done it before. Well, so so how, how do you do that? And what role does the church play? I think we do play a role in helping people toward that, you know, maturity that we're talking about. And that alone, I think, argues for less silence from us and uh, more challenge, more, you know, things like this podcast, you know, where we're talking about it and bringing it out so that people can wrestle with it.
0: I think it used to be college campuses. Mm -hmm. I think they used to be a place where, you know, you would go and you have different opinions, thoughts, and they would bring in controversial speakers and people could handle it. Now, you know, they're booted off campus because what they're saying is unacceptable. So somewhere along the line, we have become intolerant of you know where does freedom of speech where does it end where does it begin and you know i don't know that there's a space that we have you know i think james when you're talking and i so agree with you we're speaking from a place of comfort we're, mm-hmm. we're speaking from a place of safety mm-hmm. right you know yeah we're just we're coming from that so i'm i'm thinking of someone like you works for a big corporation You walk in and you start talking about what's on your heart, Mm -hmm. you know, regarding events that are happening, maybe Mm -hmm. the Middle East, you know, and what would happen? What would happen?
2: (laughs) Uh, You'd be in a conference room pretty quick. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Step in and close the door. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Because it, it is, hey, you're, you're. You're going to create tension, right? And we're here to do a specific task, right? Right, and that's what the the conversation would be redirected. We're here to perform a specific task. The dang that's a, and that's a reality. I am compensated to do a certain task, and they would say, "Stay on task." The challenge is, um. Silence is a tool. We keep coming back to that reality, and there is a certain need for um, an audience in order to uh, bring us to solve problems. That is just real.
0: Yeah, and I also think when we, you know, even began as a community looking at the LGBTQIA. Subject, wondering, even studying it, and people got a whiff of it. And we didn't even come to a conclusion. Mm -hmm. We just said, Hey, we're looking at this. Mm -hmm. If you want to join us, here's a book to read. Mm -hmm. And there was a stampede out the door, and it just, it was like a bomb went off. Mm -hmm. And I go back to, you know, what we're saying. How do we. Even as a church community, even as, you know, all of us are leaders here, three of us are elders and pastors, you know, how do we navigate that kind of a culture or mindset while um, we have a desire to mature the community and broaden thinking? I mean, even as centered set, you know, I have phone calls more often right now, you know, from people, after people have preached, questioning their theology. Mm. And I'm like, welcome to centered set. So I'm constantly, frequently having to explain what a centered set is. Mm -hmm. You know, helping people kind of develop that that it's okay that you don't agree with a preacher. It doesn't mean they're heretical. It doesn't mean you are. It means you have a different theology. That is okay. So we're doing it on a tiny scale. you know. But you can see what happens when the preachers are more willing to voice where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I liked your point about What's the space that we can do it? You know, we we can't expect like you said, Brian, earlier, we have more we have multiplied the number of issues that we are aware of, but we have divided the mm, spaces so true. which we can speak cognizantly about them. Right? So where is the place where we can actually have a conversation? where there is a space to disagree and work through it, right? I I haven't seen that really effectively done in a virtual space yet because you can always leave. Yes. The the physical tangible yes. I'm here with you kind of is is a glue in some ways to keep people together to say, okay, I, I disagree, but if I just walk out, that's a bit extreme.
3: Mm-hmm
1: doing that in a virtual setting is is the norm. I can walk out, walk in, there that that doesn't mean anything. So to that point, what where are the I think one solution or one movement is how is creating a space whether that's as a church or wherever we are where that conversation can happen. Like you said, in a in a business context, that's not the purpose. That's not the task. Right. And I think you know the institution of business in the U.S. has been developed as a this is a place where we're making money is our priority. It's our responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's our legal necessity.
2: for the masses, yeah. right? But we clearly see certain business owners flexing their financial muscle to yes. get certain issues addressed, right? So it's a dichotomy in the yeah. in the in, the, in yes. the overall balance, right? As you're a worker, yes. you are asked to leave all of your yeah, talks thoughts a good at the point. door. But the leaders of that same organization will have various packs, various issues that they support, and they somehow, through this convoluted spider web, say how it impacts the business, and you're looking at them like, you think I'm two years old, don't you? <laughs> and, but it's yeah. their way to get their personal pieces yeah, it's just out money. there, right? Uh, so what you were saying about what are the spaces? It used to be universities, and there used to be these uh, squares where people came to do exactly this. In the in somehow, some way, those were allowed to come under attack, and no one defended the concept. right? So um, I was listening to a podcaster that talked about this space in London where that was just common. And they were mentioning how all of these great thinkers used to come to this square and just debate. And that's where new thought would constantly go. Well, in recent years, there's been shootings there because of disagreements on thought. And no one did anything about it. No one came down hard on it. Same thing on universities. Now you're going to kick out university presidents because they have a different perspective than yours. But most of the presidents, uh professors, and all of that I've ever had through three universities, through hundred, or not hundreds, but clo- it felt, felt like, like a hundred classes, <laughs> always would say, this is my opinion. I want you to develop yours. Yes. Right? So this comments that's in the, in the social media space that says uh, professors are indoctrinating students, I'm saying to your face, you're lying. Unless you're going to, like, okay, the schools I went to prided themselves on
0: thinking. On thinking. Yeah.
2: That was their goal to unleash, and they would use that word unleash new thought.
0: Yeah. Crit- learning how to critically think.
2: Yes. And that's the way it should be. Those used to be the spaces. So it isn't a criticism. When someone calls you an elitist, when you look at the definition of the term, it is your brain goes. It consumes new. It tries to assemble new. How do you have an elite country if you don't have elite people? Mm. Tell me how that happens. Those are my thoughts. I had yeah, a really that snarky a, answer there.
3: But. That a good, <laughs> good thoughts. Yeah, I um, I was thinking about these are like uh, tidal forces in our culture. And here we are, this little boat riding on top of the you know, tsunami of this polarizing kind of feel. Uh, so people come, they encounter us, or maybe environments where these processes can happen, the thinking, the critical thinking and the uh, disagreeing and new thoughts, you know, where the universities used to play that role. I think to some degree, that's one of our aims here at Cornerstone. Uh, and oddly, what's happened, I think, is um, we've shed a lot of people that disagreed because it was too much for them. And then we've gathered people that agree with us. So mm-hmm. we've again, but but that's beyond our control. We didn't set out to do that, but we were agreeable now just because of the changeover of the types of people that that associate with us now. And the challenge for us, I think, is to continue to hold the door open to people that would otherwise flee. Um, So there's all this, you know, impetus to polarize Mm -hmm. and just tribalize. Uh, And here we are saying, no, 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 we want to cut across that. We want to include, we want to welcome people. We want to talk about, uh, you know, being able to think more than one thing about a topic um but it's it's hard when your whole culture is against that and mm-hmm. and easily like you're saying Matt it's easy just to go to the church down the street or you know watch another you know facebook church broadcast and when you disagree with the one that you were watching
1: yeah. so. so i want to go back to the comfort idea And to me, this is the question that keeps coming back to me is I recognize that as a person of privilege, I'm in comfort and I have a choice to engage or not engage Mm -hmm. on any number of issues when, but the number of issues with which I can engage is almost infinite.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Was it climate change? Is it Ukraine and Russia? Is it Israel and Palestine? Is it workers' rights? Is it black rights? Is it trans rights? Is it, you know, mm-hmm. I could engage, mm-hmm. you know, school violence, get guns off the street, immigration, you know. Okay,
3: you can stop now.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> and so I don't know how to not be silent on a majority of those without just like exploding. Like to me part of the the tension I feel is if I'm going to speak up on something, there's a, a level of preparation, mm-hmm. of engagement, of of action. To me, if if I'm just speaking up to give a sound bite, that to me defeats the purpose. Is it, yes. And so but if I have a million issues that's all I have time to think, process, or communicate is, is a soundbite, is a tweet. So how do we manage that?
0: I think for me, that's what, when I was saying, I feel like I'm speaking into the vortex. You know, you read, again, soundbites, tweets, how much of it actually changes the trajectory of what is happening in the world. Or the decision that leaders are making that feels that I have very little control over. So for me, you know, it it's a, it's, I, I can't help, but there's almost a defeatist. Why bother? What does my voice actually do? Yes. It might influence this little community, but, we're just a little community. So, you know, I think about when Black Lives Matter was going on and, you know, we marched um, two years ago, three years ago. That felt like it was something that mattered, right? Because people were coming together. They were, you know, standing up for something that was, that was important and big and making a statement, so I think there's always for me that challenge of what can I do and 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 does what I'm doing make a difference I know that it does in my little world but I'm talking about in the in the big decisions of you know the the racism as you were everything that you named all of that we can possibly affect change within our little community. But, but what does that do in the larger? Yeah. So the way
2: I would try to address that question is to draw the parallel of when uh, the gentleman came to Jesus and said, okay, what is the greatest commandment, right? So this is during the time where the, the laws and the commandments were expanding, Right, Mm -hmm. So you go from 10 commandments to this point where they're starting to grow. It comes to Jesus, what is the greatest? Because I have to process all Mm -hmm. these different things and get context behind all of these different things. How do I then run this sifter because I can become overwhelmed? And it gives them the answer. And I would encourage all of us to develop what is that thing for us? that allows us to then handle all these different things. Because I I agree that the topics are too broad. I'm sorry, not too broad, but too many individually. And what I've noticed is each individual atrocity somehow gets a context put around it to to try to tell me it's okay to let that one go. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, no, isn't that human suffering? Wait a minute. If that was my baby, yes, I wouldn't say, "Oh, it's, it's okay that you cut off the power to that hospital." Oh, wait. Oh, no, no, because it it would be counter to the core principle and the number one commandment that I have. Right. So, what is that for each and every one of us? And then run your filters of the con- the chaos of the world that's around you through that filter. Because, yes, the world is big, a lot of issues, a vortex, and I think that is intentional to make you overwhelmed and just shut down your nervous system so you cannot act. But
0: let's use that as an example. I don't want to go negative. I'm sorry, everybody. It's where my brain lives. It's the table. But, you know, let's go to that example, power shut off to a hospital. Mm Mm-hmm. And and I and I I don't right? That's that's um inhumane.
2: Yes. What do you do? What do you do? So if we just run this this thought experiment, the people who did it can now no longer be claimed doing good. Right? Anyone that's oppressing has to somehow sit behind the shield of I'm doing it for some good. Doing that to a bit, you are not good. So now you're, one of your tools of argument is gone and it will remain gone in my eyes, right? Because of my filter. So now how do I address you and your call to me? Meaning the person that's in power that is oppressing. The person that's in power that is oppressing is asking for me not to go after them because what they're doing has a greater good. And right, so nope, that's not true. I, I may or may not still come against you, but you, uh, uh, but it's absolute that I can't call you good. Right. That's done because of what you've done. Now it is the balance of how and why do you need me to consider you good? That's the next level of thinking. Why are you putting up this shield that asks for all of us that are sitting in comfort, to stay silent and consider me good. There's a reason they need you. And now for what? What is it they need you for? Uh, We resisted this all podcast, so I will continue to resist it. (laughs) No, because there are things that uh, nations around the world need the United States for. And they have to maintain this shield and this screen of good in order for the u s to continue to support them, yeah, because if that comes down and they don't get that support, all the things that they've done they know they're going to have to pay for that is a reality
1: but sorry to go the the Tracy route there like <laughs> <laughs> but but i mean for me if 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 i if i don't like i mean i I don't think any of these people are good, and I haven't ever right. That doesn't seem to have a whole lot of impact on the foreign policy here. you know. Thank like, you. Yes. Like, you know, you know, Joe Biden has his group of friends and the next president's going to have their group of friends and they're going to mm-hmm. call people good or bad based mm-hmm. off of whatever
2: the polling is. So here's the, here's the thing that and this is why this has been a long drift to where we are today. A long drift. It is amazing to me that years prior to an election, we know who our 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 options are already gonna be. So that says that as a nation, we've opted out of primaries essentially. No one mm-hmm. the, the, it was an absolute miracle that Obama became president because he was he was too unknown at primary starting time. That was an absolute Anomaly can't happen. You can see it happening right now. So all of these things are us. They've continued to wear us down as a people and as a society that you don't engage early on the on the pivot points of big issues. So people who think that all of your selections today are bad, there are good people. We all meet them, but they won't go and subject themselves to this system of politics because of what it's become.
0: And I think because of powerlessness again. Because I think that people look and say, why bother? Mm-hmm. I think that they go, why go to the why vote? Mm-hmm. Because why bother? Does mm-hmm. my
2: vote even matter? And even after getting the answer to that a hundred times over, People still ask that question. Absolutely. Right? Where you have whole states, governorships, uh, uh, state senators, state houses flipping by a couple of hundred votes and they say, why bother? Right? So right. you have uh, Electoral College uh, for Michigan, I forget what the three states were, were a total of 75,000 votes. So there are several hundred, a couple of hundred million votes. Uh, Cast, but seventy five thousand was the difference in in the electoral college of why one person became president or not. Yeah. So, these are the things. Yeah, and and so for me, I think what I
1: heard you earlier to kind of answer the question of like how do we respond, I'd say my filter is yes, love your neighbor, and to me, it's hard to move past that. Like to me, my neighbor is the context in which i can have impact i know some of the life of the people who physically live next to me and i know some of the challenges they face i know their ups and downs and i feel like in that setting i might have some impact in a local town conversation or in a school decision or something like that um and so kind of just where I've ended up landing is I I kind of hold things outside of that realm more loosely. Mm-hmm. The challenge with that is if I segregate myself in my neighborhood, if I exclude, if if I limit my neighbor to a very similar person to myself, I'm still falling into that same trap. Yes. But but honestly that's kind of the way I've landed on how to live. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sure most of you disagree with us in something (laughs) we said. So, keep listening. You know, dislike. We'll take we'll take your dislikes. We'll give you. We'll we'll take your thumbs down.
2: Absolutely, because Because that's okay. The Bible tells us to come. Let us reason together. Right. And that's that's a skill we're forgetting.
1: So thank you all for joining us in this conversation. We really appreciate it, and we pray that uh, you can all keep. Staying at the table. Keep thinking, keep considering how the world around you can be impacted by what you do. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening.
2: Thanks. Have a great day.
1: Staying at the Table is hosted by Dr. Tracy Saleta, Matthew Kissler, and James Beatty and produced by Hear It Sound and Studio. Got a question or a comment or a topic you want discussed? email us at adminccf at gmail.com we'd love hearing from you and don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with new episodes coming out and if you're feeling kind leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts find out more about staying at the table at cornerstone